Hello, Nikki. Hello, Mikey. I am so excited to be back in the saddle doing uh, Through the Lens with Mikey and Nikki. I know. And this one is the best for as far as I'm concerned. This is going to be pretty fun. This one's called Children of the 80s. And it's basically those that mean something to you if you grew up in that era, you know. Um, If you grew up in the 70s and the 80s, whatever those movies were that were really memorable to you, you know, those are the kind of movies we're going to be talking about. Right, Nikki? A hundred percent. That's that was my whole cinema growing up experience right there. Most of it took place in the 80s, would you say? I mean, big shout out to 70s, but 80s was really when, you know, full swing of the kids and just looking forward to every single Saturday going out with either my friends or mom and dad and just having that real movie experience. Right. So uh, I'm going to be talking about three films today, and they're in three different genres, although one of the uh, one of them. I think falls into two genres. And so uh, how about you, Nikki? What have you got for today? How many do you have? I've got three as well. I've got three. I would say there are three very different genres as well. Uh, A little bit of a crossover, but they, they have a very dear place in my heart. And I can only see, I can honestly say anytime I'm flipping through the channels and I see one of these, I stop. And I will re-watch it and relive my childhood every time. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, let's uh, do as we usually do, ladies first. And uh, <laughs> let's let's have you start out today, Nikki. I would love that. Thank you so much. Um, okay, I'm going to start with one that is the prize for me. The gem, if you will. And... It brings back such amazing childhood memories with my cousin Chase, who him and I would absolutely quote this film endlessly. I mean, endlessly. And that was The Outsiders. And that was in 1983. And believe it or not, I don't know if a lot of people even realize this. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And did you know that? I did. I did. Yeah. it's It's one of my all times because... You had a lot of, quote unquote, unknown actors of the time, which you look back on it now and just kind of giggle because you had Matt Dillon as Dallas Winston. You had C. Thomas Howe's Pony Boy, Ralph Macchio as Johnny, Daryl Curtis with Patrick Swayze. Okay, you had Tom Cruise as Steve Randall, Emilio Estevez as Two-Bit Matthews. Diane Lane as Cherry Valance and who could forget Soda Pop Curtis with Rob Lowe. And this was set in the 1950s in a rural Oklahoma town. It's really a story about greasers and socials and the classes that ensued. The basic premise of the story is Pony Boy and Johnny get into a brawl and it results in the death of a social the whole film is them being on the run that cumulates at the very end to a war between these two classes. And it is everything from heartwarming and tender moments. And although maybe you weren't that type of person or understood what that lifestyle was like, you understood isolation. You understood wanting to be a part of a family. You understood all of the amazing speeches that go into it. And, I mean, 
just the fact of the matter that they have a pony boy and a soda pop and a Daryl Curtis, right. It, right. it just sticks in your brain. You know, it was based off Essie Hinton's book and it was not only a gateway for me because I just found something different about it every single time I would watch it, but it opened Essie Hinton as an author to me and really got me interested in reading as a kid. And I definitely went down the rabbit hole of reading The Outsiders and then Rumblefish and, and all of these wonderful books. And, and that was because of the film. And yeah. it just touches my heart to this day. What, do, what was your memories of The Outsiders? Oh, I have great memories of it. In fact, uh, one, of, one of my favorite memories of the movie The Outsiders, the very beginning of the movie, there's this Stevie Wonder song that mm-hmm. is called stay gold now right. it's not very you know I, I i used to have a hard time finding it now i think it's readily available on itunes mm-hmm. but it's um one of these tracks that you've never heard from stevie wonder that's really really good and oh yeah i also have this kind of funny story about the making of the outsiders i guess it was um roblo was put in the same hotel room as um, as Tom Cruise. And Rob Lowe tells the story, you know, that they're going to be roommates and they're both beginning actors and everything. He says that he knew that Tom Cruise was going to be a big deal because he thought he was a big deal back then. Hmm. And he did not like the fact that he had to have a roommate named Rob Lowe. Oh. Uh, he, he didn't want a roommate named anybody. <laughs> he wanted his own damn room. <laughs> and uh, they were staying at a nice hotel. And he had them upgraded to the Four Seasons or something like that. Oh, my God. With their own rooms. And uh, Rob Lowe was like, yeah, I like this guy. He already knows he's going to be a star. Um, huh. I mean, that's one way to take it. I, <laughs> I was kind of like, gosh, what a douche. You know, the guy hasn't even done any movies yet. And he's already acting like he owns the place what's the deal well and you have to remember i mean if you look at the film as a whole rob lowe is in that film way more than tom cruise steve randall's yeah. a side bit character in that film he's got a great couple great memorable lines but soda pop curtis being pony boy's older brother i mean that's kind of interesting that's a that's a heck of an ego just putting that out there yes I also, my other big memory from that movie, and I I wish we had the audio to play from it, but my other big love from that movie is Matt Dillon from the hospital bed saying, we do it for Johnny, man. We do it for Johnny. That I will never forget. Oh, 100%. 100%. He's he's like he's like leaning over his own body, you know. His his arm is outstretched, his fingers pointing. You see that one eye squinting on Matt Dillon. Mm-hmm. Do it for Johnny, man. <laughs> Do it for Johnny. Yeah, you kind of nailed that. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite. Oh, it's it's a great film, and you know what? It still totally plays. It absolutely oh, yeah. still totally plays to this day. And like I said, you can. You can actually catch it now on Prime Video anytime you want. 
but I bet you if you've got direct TV, it's playing somewhere at some point, usually at one o'clock in the morning, but I always stop and watch it. It's so good. It just is. It absolutely is. What about yours? What's what's up next for you? Which one did you pick? So this movie was extremely meaningful to me uh, in the 80s, came out in 1982. It's a sci-fi. And it's a sci-fi that people have very either very strong opinions of or not. And it's called The Thing. Oh, wow. And The Thing was directed by John Carpenter, who did uh, Halloween. Right. And Carrie and a bunch of... Oh, no, he didn't do Carrie. No. Uh, he did, he did uh, Halloween. He did uh, The Mist. He did... Um, oh, he did uh, all those Back to New York movies. And, or Escape, Escape from, from New York. York. Escape, Escape from New York. York. Escape from L.A. All right. Of, yeah. And... Um, so it was released in 1982 to really bad reviews. Now, if you've never seen it, the idea is uh, Kurt Russell's character, McCready, and all these other guys are up in the uh, uh, North Pole um, in Antarctica, and they're studying at a science lab there. And a, a animal brings in... Uh, this creature from outer space that it's infected with and that creature uh, will attack people and take their form and their shape and uh, look like them. And you won't know if they're a thing or not until, you know, you um, test them with fire. Right. And so the movie is just, it's really, it really, I think a classic. Um, The reason it meant so much to me was because before I ever saw it, my brother, Sam, had just seen it and picked me up from the uh, uh, picked me up from the bus station. I, I traveled out to Los Angeles to hang out with my brother okay. and he picked me up from the bus station. And for the whole ride from the bus station back to his place, which was about an hour, he described what he had just seen, the thing. And I was captivated just by his storytelling. You know, I was only 11 years old, 12 years old, and I was captivated by his storytelling and the movie lived up to the way that he described it, but not to critics. Critics freaking hated it. Mm -hmm. And it only made the studio like $3 million, literally. It had a budget of like 15 million and it made... 19 million dollars so four million bucks right made four million dollars and part of the reason that they think that it it tanked was because it was up against another kind of sci-fi film that summer called et the extraterrestrial (laughs) i don't know if anybody remembers that film was that big, Mike? Was that a yeah, big that, film? You that think? turned out, yeah, that one turned turned out to be a big one. So yeah, was it? That was a no name director, right? No name director, yeah, yeah. In fact, we're gonna get to him in just a little bit. Okay. Uh, and yeah, so it was up against ET. So it did have a little bit of trouble going in, but Kurt Russell and all of his badass swagger, unforgettable characters. Uh, Ennio Marconi does the music, so it's those tight string violin poles, and it's just an incredible, incredible special effects and visual effects movie, 
it's got suspense, like ratcheted up to 11. And it's, I think, one of those 80s movies that, man, that defined my childhood. Mine are a little bit off the beaten path, but, man, I sure loved the thing. Did you ever see it, Nikki? Yeah, yeah, it freaked me out. Here's the deal. I really, you know, we, we talked on our 70s podcast about how I didn't even really want to take a bath after seeing Jaws. Right. Um, with the thing, the thing that creeped me out was that you just didn't know. Like you said, you didn't know if the person in front of you was actually them because it would take form and you could only test it with fire. And being a kid that did take the bus home and had a wild imagination, um, yeah, I'm getting uh, around yeah. looking at people like, Mm. <laughs> I, I, that, I don't know if you're a form. I don't That's know if so you're awesome. real. And, <laughs> and I freak myself out. So public transit became an issue. Baths and, and public transit after seeing those <laughs> So that wasn't great. I have to be honest with you. Yeah. So it, was, it was a little creepy. But it was, you know what? Now, let me ask you the question, Mike. Do you feel, have you seen it recently? No, I own the I own it. Um, okay, so, do so you I, feel... I, I mean, if, if you say recently, I've definitely seen it within the last year. Okay, yes, and that's what I would be saying. So, as you have all these amazing childhood memories with that, as an adult, does it still play for you? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, because the idea is a classic idea. The idea of who is the thing. I don't know who's the thing. Right. That's a classic idea. Mm -hmm. Then you throw elements in it, like a classic musical score from Ennio Marconi. Right. Which made it, which made it, which ratcheted up the tension even higher. And, um, and then you had these dynamic actors. I was going to say young actors, but Wilford Brimley was there and, Wilfred's always been 84 years old. Yeah, no, he came out that way. (laughs) Rest in peace, Wilfred. Yeah, but he was born looking like that. Right. Um, But uh, it just had these really dynamic actors. And Kurt Russell, you know, as the lead, he really led that charge. But, you know, there's no women in in the film. And I, I read a little bit about that. He wanted them to feel isolated. Mm-hmm. He did not want them to to know or be able to experience the comfort that comes from being around the opposite sex. Hmm. And when you're making a film and you're and you are interacting, when you're only able to interact with the same sex, um, it's it's a, it, it can make them. He felt it would make them feel isolated, and they said they did. Interesting. So, yeah. Anyway, Interesting. What, what about your number two? What What's your number two? All right. Number two is, is the epitome of why I'm a daddy's girl. And uh, the reason why is because God bless my dad. But I, I honestly, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure he took me to go see this movie at least, no joke, 10 times. No kidding. No, no joke. Yeah. For sure. And and it was definitely one of those things where my mom's like, she's at it again. Are you going to go take her to the movies? Because she's begging again to go see this. And I was a kid and it was Karate Kid, man. 
it was Karate Kick. I can't help it. It was it was the bomb. It was 1984, and you had Ralph Macchio playing Daniel Larusso, and you had William Zaka playing Johnny Lawrence, and it was Ralph Macchio and his mom moving out from New Jersey out to California, SoCal, and you know poor side of town and they didn't have much she goes to high school you know has the crush on elizabeth shoe and johnny lawrence is part of cobra kai and okay wait a minute wait a minute i was going to say i don't want to put you on the spot nikki Uh-oh. but do you know who the actor was that played the bad guy the the blonde guy are you kidding william zack guy dude that to me see that's next level to me (laughs) like that's a superpower to me (laughs) when you're able to do that because i I am not gonna know like if you ask the average person on the street do you know have you seen karate kid if they're from planet earth then they have yes they've seen karate kid and when you say to them who is the actor that played the the bad guy you know the blonde dude from cobra kai not one person except for my friend Nikki would be able to speak up and say, what, Nikki? <laughs> it's William Zabka, of course. How do you not know that? <laughs> Come on. Fantastic. Dude, everybody was, was are, there's so many quotable lines from this film. Are you kidding me? Cobra Kai, strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. I mean, that's Wash like- on, wash off. Yes, exactly, exactly. Or sweep the leg, Johnny. Sweep the leg. Sweep to the leg, yeah. Dude, and the anticipation. You've got the last and final tournament. You got two points to John. You got two points to Daniel LaRusso. Zabka brings it up as Johnny. Two points. They're tied. Two and two. Who's going to take it? Especially because Zabka just took out his leg. And the crane comes. And you've got Daniel LaRusso hitting him in the face. Illegal kick. It's somewhat of a of a difficult fight. There's a lot of speculation. But kicks him in the face with the crane kick and wins the day. <laughs> All right? There's, like, nothing freaking like it. However, I do have to follow this up because I yeah. am not much of a geek. I knew this weekend that Netflix was going to premiere Cobra Kai, okay? And if you're not familiar, people, with Cobra Kai, this is the sequel. It's a series. They got William Zatka back. They got Ralph Macchio back. And it's brilliant. It's freaking brilliant. I started watching it at 4 a.m. this morning. (laughs) I'm, like, on the fifth episode. Are you really? Is it good? Are you kidding me? Are you, if you geek out like I do with this film, this is like being surrounded in a candy store and having no freaking like credit problem to be able to just eat and buy everything you want all at once. I am nubbling this up like nobody's business and it's perfect. You got you got Johnny Lawrence who's coming back and he's resurrected the Cobra Kai and Daniel LaRusso who owns a car lot and the battle continues and they're in their forties. And like, it's so, yeah. I am so in it's stupid. 
It That's is just, it, it is so great. And it's just, and they have Easter eggs everywhere in the series. You mm. know, Ralph Macchio has a teenage daughter. They're sitting around on a Saturday and she's like, oh, are you going to make your Bananarama can- pancakes? Bananarama, the band who sings right. Cruel Summer from the original film. I'm cracking myself up. It's like 4.30 in the morning and I'm the only one laughing, but still. I am That's having great. a blast with this. And awesome. it's it 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 stands the test of time, obviously, because they brought it just like they did, and I love it even more now. So Karate Kid and now on Netflix Cobra Kai. So that I can't talk enough about. Now what you know, I, and I, you know, Karate Kid wasn't as you know, I liked it. It wasn't as big of a part of my life as it was to you, but at the same time, you've got me interested in Cobra Kai. I'm going to check it out. Really? Oh. Yeah, I'll check it out. It, it, it's devouring. And, oh, and Mikey, anybody from being a kid or a teenager in the 80s, the soundtrack alone is worth it. The soundtrack alone is everything from Rat to Guns N' Roses to Motley Crue to Foreigner to 38 Special. I am dying. Like every yeah. other scene. And because Johnny Lawrence just has not left his character. He just, he's, dri- he's driving around in a Pontiac Firebird, blasting poison. <laughs> okay, yeah. it's so good. And, and by the way, lest anybody think that uh, Peter Cetera did Glory of Love, he didn't. Not yet. Mm-hmm. That was Karate Kid 2. Right. So, yeah, there is there's no Peter Cetera uh, <laughs> available in Karate Kid. <laughs> Just want to let people know that Karate Kid is a Cetera free zone. <laughs> but, find it. but you can get your fill on Bananarama. So yes, you can. Having yeah, you said can. that. Oh, perfect Easter egg that I just discovered on this. That apartment yeah. building that Daniel and his mom lives in in the movie Karate Kid is the same apartment building that William Zacka lives in in Cobra Kai. That's cool. Love it. I like those little things. Oh, it's so much fun. And if you, you know, if you've got kids and they're into movies now, it's one of those you just want to sit down with them and be like, look, this is what I was into. <laughs> yeah. And now we're watching Cobra Kai. So. Right. It's right. it's a brilliant it's a billion overlay so it's it's awesome. All That's right, Mike, Mikey, next pick for you. The next one was another defining film. See the now all of the three films that I'm going to do today were defining films in my life. Okay. So the thing by John Carpenter was a defining moment in my life. All right. My second film is a horror film that was a defining moment in my life, oh, and that oh. was The Shining. Oh, 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 my God. I'm so excited you picked that. I had no idea. Yes. <laughs> yes. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining was really a part of my growing up. Um, mm. It came out on on VHS about a year, maybe after it came out. And I got to see it. And it was one of those movies that scared me. But it didn't scare me in a in a way that, like, shook me like we talked about on the horror movies of the seventies. It was a horror movie that intrigued me and that did all of those things to you that it should. The plot of the shining of course is uh, 
Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, is a caretaker over the winter at an isolated hotel up in the Rocky Mountains. And he brings his daughter, uh, his son and his wife with him. And during the course of his stay, he goes mad. And he, um, uh, well, everybody's seen The Shining. If you haven't, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it. He ends up trying to murder his family. <laughs> okay. So that's the premise of the movie. Uh, the movie cost $19 million to make. And then mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, it turns out, was Kubrick's first choice to play Jack Torrance. But there were some other actors that were considered to play the role of Jack Torrance. None other than Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. How could... <laughs> I, I'm trying to imagine in my head right now that role of Jack Torrance being played by Robert De Niro. Little pigs. Little pigs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Open the door. Let me come in. Not by the hair of my chin chin chin. Mm-hmm. Hey, Wendy, you better open that effing door. <laughs> open that effing door right now. Hey, De Niro, I just can't, I, I can't even fathom that, that he was considered. But by the way, Robert De Niro said the movie gave him nightmares for a month. Also considered... For the uh, role of Jack Torrance were Robin Williams. Oh, Lord. And Harrison Ford. Huh. Um, so uh, lots of great things about The Shining to talk about. Yeah. First of all, it was the it was the first time, Nikki, and you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the first time that uh, Hollywood had been introduced to a piece of technology called the Steadicam. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was put to very good use by Stanley Kubrick, who strapped it onto um, a movable cart. And that movable cart was pushed by somebody and followed uh, Danny Lloyd, who played Danny Torrance in the film, on his big wheel throughout the hotel. Mm -hmm. And so you've got these long, long shots that go with the steady cam following the big wheel throughout the hotel. And it's really creepy and it's very claustrophobic and it's just really, really well done. And so that was um, the first time that they had done that. The first time that they had sort of introduced this new piece of technology to Hollywood. And it was just, it was great, but it was also a really scary as hell film. Um, uh, Nikki, what were your um, what are your impressions of The Shining? Yeah, well, number one, <clears throat> I I've always loved Stephen King, and devoured his books throughout my childhood. The Shining was an amazing book, but an even more amazing film just because it was so it it really veered away um, from the novel. The story, the movie itself is something I feel it plays on its own. Um, interesting fact, Stephen King was not happy with with the film. He was no, not he happy hated. with that. Yeah, he hated it because he because Kubrick really made it his own. I don't see that being a problem because I love Kubrick's story. Kubrick's story is his own. Um, but there are 
key factors and I love Kubrick as an artist. I think he's an amazing director, but there's the, the cinematography in that film stays with you. Just like you were talking about the big wheel and the, and the steady cam, you also had that amazing scene of the elevators where the waves of blood are coming yeah. down. And Iconic scene, right? It's an absolute iconic scene, as iconic as the creepy twins in the hallway. Which in the book, they're not twins, they're just sisters. Right. But and those, Cooper, in the movie, that is so scary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you've got everything from the May scene at the Overlook, right? So you've got the Overlook Hotel, which is majestic in its own right. You've got it covered with snow. And then you've got this incredible topiary maze, basically, which are the last and final 10 minutes of the film. And it's it's terrifying and it's again wow i'm really realizing about myself films really shape my phobias because i hate mazes and it really came from the shining I yeah never, i never want to get lost in a maze ever you, you know what one of the really overlooked uh, and i there's a pun there it's the overlook hotel <laughs> but you know one of the really overlooked aspects of the shining was the music mm-hmm and the music is chilling. Yes. It's absolutely chilling. And the music was done by a transvestite named Wendy Carlos. And uh, another person named Rachel Elkind. And um, it was very unusual. You know, here was, uh, this was before LGBTQ was a big deal. And people, um, you know, were out and things like that. And Wendy Carlos um just did this incredible score for the shining yeah and it's just it's so creepy and it's so but then they've got the, but then uh he would also incorporate Kubrick would he would also incorporate real songs like this one from Al Boli mm. Do you remember that, Nikki? Yeah, because now I have goosebumps. You know, that's, yeah, that right? plays right at the scene where where Jack Torrance is actually, it it's a signifying scene because you you know he's crossed over. You see him sli- he, slowly going mad throughout the entire film, but that's the crossover scene. That's, yes. as far as I'm concerned as a viewer, that's the crossover scene for me because he has now officially lost it. He is living in a different alternate plane when that right. music is cued. And yeah. it changes the film right then and there. The whole ambiance, everything about it, the idea of reincarnation and going back to the Overlook, everything that is a signifying piece of music that sets the tone and the rest Absolutely. of the film. Yeah. Uh, one of the defining moments in the film and I'm sure you'll remember this right off the bat, Nikki, is <clears throat> Wendy, let me ask you something. <laughs> Whenever you hear me in here, you hear me typing. Whether you do hear me typing, whether you don't hear me typing, whatever the F you hear me doing, do not come in here. 
<laughs> now, do you think you can handle that? Oh, great. I want you to start right now by getting the F out of here. Mm. It's so creepy. Yeah. That scene is so creepy. Well, and the minute you did that, the first thing that comes to my brain is is Shelly Duvall's big old eye sockets getting as big as they possibly can out of fear. Yes. Because half of it was the terror from Jack Nicholson, but the other half really acting wise was feeling her terror. Yeah. And she and, nailed you it. Know, you, you, when you think of The Shining, you have these little images that pop in your head. The twins, um, the big wheel going down the, the, you know, the hotel floors. Um, maybe the old woman coming out of the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe, you know, one of the, maybe the images, you know, Nicholson's face in the door saying, here's Johnny. Um, one of the images that I always have in my head is of Shelley Duvall with her holding onto a knife, walking up the stairs, her knife, her hand shaking, the knife shaking. She's terrified. Long shadows are stretching her image. Um, it's terrifying. The yeah. movie is so good. Well, uh, and who can anyway, forget Red Rum? Red Rum. Red Rum. Red Rum. Right. Red Rum. Red Rum. <laughs> exactly. Those were, you know, those were all great visuals. You never seen The Shining. You got to see it. It's one of the best ever. Shelley Duvall and uh, Stanley Kubrick never got along on the set. Right. She actually was hospitalized for months because of stress. Her hair fell out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a fascinating movie and a fascinating watch. So watch it. Uh, what is your is this your last movie, Nikki? It is. What it is, is it? It happens to be about a criminal, a princess, a basket case a brain and an athlete. And that was going to be John Hughes breakfast club in 1985. And oh yeah, I can't get through my teenage years without thinking about my girlfriend, Kira and I were eating frozen cookie dough, raw cookie dough and watching that film literally almost every single Friday night. And and just quoting it constantly. It was it was huge. It was absolutely huge. You know, John Hughes actually wrote the script in two days. No way. Oh, yeah. He was he was famous for going into his family's home, cranking up rock music, smoking, chain smoking constantly, staying up for 48 hours and busting out scripts. He did that with 16 Candles. He did that with Uncle Buck. He did that with um, with the script. And he nailed Breakfast Club in two days. And he always said with Breakfast Club, it was really easy because it was a, it was a single environment. You were in the school library. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't different shots and all these moving parts. It was about just these characters. And those characters happen to be John Bender played by Judd Nelson, Claire played by Molly Ringwald, Allison played by Ali Sheedy, Brian played by Anthony Michael Hall and Andrew played by Emilio Estevez. And this was five different click social groups that ended up in a Saturday detention. And throughout the day, they're telling their story of how they got there. 
And in the end, they all have a different outlook and appreciation for one another. But the true question at the end was, will they bring it back on Monday when they all go back into school and they go back to their cliques? And it was awesome. It was perfect. They had Paul Gleason playing the principal, Richard Vernon, which was the adversary that they could all band together against. And it was amazing. It was it was everything you needed. And just like you were saying, those iconic moments and the shining for me, it was all of those quotable moments throughout the film and, and just whatever character it was, or maybe a little bit of every single character, when you're a teenager, you felt those characters and you felt what they were going through and the pressures from parents and the pressures of school or the isolation of school, whatever it was. And John Hughes had an amazing way in his screenwriting ability to capture, to capture all of those emotions and be able to put it on screen. And he did. And this one was, as far as I'm concerned, his, his piece de resistance. This was it for me. And yeah, to this day, I'd stop whatever I'm doing and watch that film. I, I will absolutely yeah. down do that. And when you said The Breakfast Club, I don't know how many other people this happened for, but when you said The Breakfast Club, at least for me, you know, there is there are so many things that we associate with movies that we grew up with and stuff like that. Um, but that particular movie had so many quotable lines. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just so many quotable lines in that movie. And, uh, you know, I just think that, you know, the other thing that came up for me was this. Oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong one. Sorry. (laughs) No worries. This one. Well, it won't play, but damn it. It was Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Mind. 110% you can't listen to that song without thinking of that film. Right. It was written for the film, actually. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was written for the film. And so that was, music was a bit, like I said, John Hughes was really, really famous for locking himself in a room and blasting rock music to write out of scripts. And music was a heavy influence with John Hughes. I mean, and he was very collaborative. You know, the the opening sequence with the uh, lyrics from David Bowie's Changes is, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Ali Sheedy came to John Hughes with that and said, look, to capture this film, we need to put the lyric on and make make it known this is the start. This is This is where we're coming from. And it just encapsulated that angst right away. And you knew it was different. And, and just like, don't you forget about me. That, that is part of my, that song is part of my childhood. This film is. Yeah. And I, and the only version that they give me online is the live version. Oh, wow. I'm not going to make anybody suffer through that. But anyway, it was, gosh darn it, I wish I, I had that version. But anyway, it was, it, it, that movie for me, I watched it with my parents at home. 
And when it was over, I said, that is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And my dad said, why? And like any typical teenager, I was like, if you don't understand why, <laughs> then you don't deserve to, to know. Oh, you pulled a John Bender? Yeah, exactly. I was like John Bender. And as soon, by the way, when you said Claire, first thing that popped into my head, Claire is a fat girl's name. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was from the movie. I'm not saying that as editorializing. No. I'm saying that that's the line from the movie. Claire is a bad girl. Oh, yeah. Just like chicks cannot hold the smoke. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the fact that that line's delivered by Anthony Michael Hall made it that much more perfect. It that did. was just, that was freaking perfect. It yeah. was. Or, or at the very end, my actually one of my absolute favorite lines by Emilio Estevez is, or, or by Anthony Michael Hall, is him checking in with everybody, like accusing them, knowing that on Monday they're all going to shun him just like they have their entire high school years. And he's going down the line to Claire, are you going to say hi with all your prom queens? John, you're going to take me out with all your criminal friends? And, you know, are you going to be with the jocks, Emilio Estevez? Is that Andrew? Is that, you know, you're going to be my friend then? And he gets to Ali Sheedy <laughs> and he's like, what about you? And she's like, well, I don't, I don't have any friends. So, um, <laughs> <doesn't really> <laughs> not... and everybody starts cracking up. Everybody's oh, like, oh, great. shit, that's right. And so it's, it's just. There's these real and honest moments throughout the film that I absolutely adore. It still plays. And to this day, as a 46-year-old woman, whenever I speak with my girlfriend, Kira, we literally still quote the lines. For just like out of nowhere. Oh, that's great. It just happens. It's when it's so quotable. Oh, tell me about it. Oh. <laughs> There's just so many great lines in that movie. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. You That's right. With- you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Every every time, man. Every time. But that's yes. that's one of my all times. And you can get that on Hulu. You can watch that on Hulu on any given time. And I love that. So it's awesome. Mike, what about you? What's your last okay, tip, so, brother? Yeah, this is gonna be my last one. And um you know, I, I think that the music may speak for itself on this one. <laughs> yes. I mean, that movie for oh. me, like Raiders of the Lost Ark is the movie. Yeah. Starring Harrison Ford. And, uh, you know... J- just a freaking masterpiece. What else can I say? Yeah. It's Steven Spielberg. Stories by George Lucas, who did Star Wars. It's it's just it's just so good. Yeah. And, you know, so many of us do not know how close we came to having Tom Selleck play the role of Indiana Jones. We really don't. No, thank you. No, thank he was you. That close to being Indiana Jones. The only reason was he couldn't was because of a scheduling conflict. And so they cast uh, Harrison Ford to play the lead role of Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's, it's a story that came from George Lucas in the early, he had the idea in the early seventies 
then he decided to make this space opera called Star Wars that nobody's ever heard of. And uh, I'm uh, sorry, can you repeat? I don't know what the title yeah, of that. It's called Star Wars. It's the sci-fi huh. adventure. Huh. And um, yeah, it was kind of big back in the seventies. They they stopped after one film, or uh, no? Actually, they made about nine, and so uh, nine. Yeah, okay, it was, it was, weird. Yeah, so All it right. turned out to be turned out to be kind of a phenomenon okay uh but anyway george lucas and steven spielberg got together and they were like yeah what do you think want to make a movie and they did and it was raiders of the lost ark and it's got karen allen who's brilliant in it as well Mm -hmm. and it's just great storytelling it's great music it's great everything (laughs) and uh won five academy awards uh played in some theaters for as long as a year because it was so popular Mm. and is iconic in every way yep throw me the idol i'll throw you the whip (laughs) i love that that's my favorite line yeah throw me the idol i'll throw you the whip it's yeah Yeah, right you will (laughs) um who could forget the visuals of indiana jones turning around with a hundred tarantulas all across his back Uh, um the 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 what? The, the snakes. snakes. Yes. I hate snakes. <laughs> you know, th- that visual, uh, the visual of the bad guy, Belloc. Uh, just such a great movie, you know, just his face melting off at the end. Oh, my God. That's the one. So that's many, the scene so I'll never crazy. forget. That's yeah. the scene. I'll, oh, yeah. The melting of the faces. I was traumatized. I, yeah, I was too. I was I was like, what are they what is happening right now? <laughs> yeah. That was also a movie that was really, you know, it was one of those films that I really enjoyed passing the baton to my kids. Really? Showing them Raiders of the Lost Ark and them with their eyes wide as natives were throwing spears at Indiana Jones as he jumped into that biplane that had a python in it. Ugh. You know, oh, um, did they have the, the same scenes. reaction, Mikey? Did they? Oh, like, yeah, they loved it. Their eyes they... were wide. They were, you know, their eyes were really wide. It was not, you know, that movie is nonstop action. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they felt like they were very little when they got to see it. It, you know, it had a couple of, you know, how is your father moments that were kind of like a uh, little dirty. And uh, they felt like grownups getting to, you know, hear a couple of bad words here and there. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a thrill ride. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Raiders of the Lost Ark, to me, is just a thrill ride. It's like going on an amusement park ride. Oh, yeah. I literally, I literally, it's been a minute, obviously. But the last time I was at Disneyland, for whatever reason, it was just one of those really, 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 really crazy, like rainy days. I literally uh-huh. went on Raiders of the Last Ark 15 times in a row. I just kept getting off the ride and running through the ride again just to get back on it. Because it's if you've ever done it, it's a different ride every single time you go. And it's literally reliving my childhood. Like, oh, am I going to get the boulder this time? Not sure. Like That is so great. <laughs> Like you become a kid when you think about that, that movie, especially, and think about the themes of that film. Think about that because we're kids. You're on an adventure ride, right? But those aren't light themes, dude. (laughs) Okay. Right. 
you're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. You're talking about Nazis. You're talking about all. You're like your head is spinning by the end of that yeah. film. And yeah. if you're a big Bane Theory fan, that's that ongoing argument they have between the guys constantly about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it's it's pop what is culture it? What is it? I don't know. I don't know about it. Okay. Well. <clears throat> You got to actually, I'm not ruining that one. And in this, we don't have a half hour to get into it because it actually has to do with the physics and everything that goes along with the storyline. Look it up, Google it online. That one is too much. That is an entire podcast, honest to God. And I think they've actually done reunion podcasts about it. So <laughs> go into the Big Bang Theory and type in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's, it's a rabbit hole to go down for sure. Yeah. Well, that will be something that i will be doing as soon as we're done uh because that sounds like fun absolutely and, and uh i think we're both i think we've both wrapped up i think we've both done our lists 100 percent, 100 percent. so uh very very fun podcast looking back at memories of the 1980s growing up during that time period and during that era and just to look back at some fun films from that time nikki great job once again thank you you too you too yeah it was really fun and we will get together and do another episode of behind or through the lens with mikey and nikki next time so thanks for joining us all right take care